Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. This morning, uh, I want to talk about this guy, and I I know some of you guys think that Zacchaeus was probably the, the shortest person in the Bible. And you guys, you guys know who Zacchaeus is? If you grew up in church at all, you probably heard the song about Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Right, okay. So we know that. A lot of church people in here. And so we're left with this impression that Zacchaeus was the, the shortest guy in the Bible, but there was another guy that's even shorter, and that was Nehemiah. I told, my jo- I told that joke to my family last night, and they said, oh, my gosh, please don't say that tomorrow. I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because people like to groan. <laughs> people like to groan at my bad jokes. No, no, uh, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a short guy. Nehemiah really wasn't Nehi. If any of you kids hear that and you're, like, logging that information to your brain, that's not truth. Don't picture that. But we don't have the, 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 the time today to go into the full story of Nehemiah, but I'll give you a brief overview. The, the book of Nehemiah used to be combined with the book of Ezra. And that actually, there used to be one book just called Ezra Nehemiah because it's one congruent story written by one author. And it wasn't until much later that, uh, you know, it was decided somewhere down the road that we're going to separate this into two books. But it's one long story, and it, the story takes place after Babylon invades Jerusalem and destroys the temple. They destroy the city, and they take a large number of Israelites into captivity. They actually take the, the best and the brightest folks. They take the people who have lots of responsibility, who la- have lots of skill, and they take them into captivity. And the, so the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, it begins 50 years later when the Israelites are beginning to allow to be returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the city and their lives. And I was just thinking about this yesterday of what just a miracle it is that King Cyrus and then even Artaxerxes, that they even allow the people that are in captivity, the people that are in exile, the people that are now in command in their kingdom, that they have places of responsibility in their kingdom, that they now go, okay, you can go now. You can go back to your home and rebuild your lives now. What would even possess these leaders to let these people who've become now a couple generations into it, their subjects, part of their kingdom, integral parts, And now say, okay, you can leave now. You can go do your thing. You can go back to your homeland. I'm thinking, that's got to be God. And I think of Pharaoh even. I know that God had to turn the screws to Pharaoh with all of the plagues. But then he finally did. He let the people go. And I just marvel at that. I marvel at what, at a situation that looks impossible, but God makes a way. That was a freebie. That's not even my notes today, but... The rebuilding process of Jerusalem, the temple, the city, their lives, the rebuilding process began with a priest named Zerubbabel. 
and he's leading the efforts to rebuild the temple. And then 60 years later, Ezra comes along. And Ezra comes up on the scene, and he's here to teach the Israelites the Torah. And the Torah reveals to the people who God is, what God's ways are, and how the people can love and serve God. And then Ezra is followed by Nehemiah. Everybody say Nehemiah. Boys and girls say Nehemiah. And Nehemiah came to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So back up just a second. Nehemiah is in the service of the Persian king, Artaxerxes, and he hears that Jerusalem's walls have turned to ruins, and he, it, this strikes a chord on the inside of him, and the very first thing he does is he goes to the place of prayer. I love that. Before he does anything else, he goes to meet God. He goes to the place of prayer to seek the will of God. And then from there he goes to Artaxerxes and he gets Artaxerxes' blessing and permission to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And, and so the king even gives Nehemiah an armed escort. He gives him resources to start this mission. It's amazing. It's remarkable. What motivation other than what just God doing something miraculous would Artaxerxes say, yeah, sure, yeah, you're, you, you, you hold a position in my palace, in my administration, in my kingdom, sure, just go ahead and leave. And as a matter of fact, why don't you take all the, this part of this army with you and all these resources with you? So that's just God. And, and so Nehemiah arrives on the scene in Jerusalem and, and he's wanting to begin this project, but he's met with opposition. He's met with opposition from the locals, some of which of those locals were Israelites that, you know, the generations of Israelites that didn't get taken into captivity. But those people weren't loving and serving God. They had intermarried within the foreigners that lived around Jerusalem and had adopted their ways, and they weren't really living the ways of, of God and so he's met with opposition from some Israelites. He's met with some opposition of some of the other foreigners who don't want the walls rebuilt. Now, why would you be against the walls being rebuilt against the city? Because it leaves the city vulnerable to attack. It leaves the city vulnerable to come in. If I'm, if, if I'm an Ammonite, and the, the, I'm like, no, I don't want Jerusalem to rebuild the walls because I want to be able to come and go and do and take and plunder as I want. And so the, these people have different values and they're not following God's ways. And if you've got your Bibles, and even if it's on your phone, let's go to Nehemiah chapter two today. And we're gonna read through some of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter two. We're gonna start in verse 17. Nehemiah shows up and he's met with opposition. And Nehemiah said to them, you see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire? Come and let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them, how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. 
which is a great response of the people. So they put their hands to the good work, but there's this guy named Samballot. That's how I say it. I don't know what the correct pronunciation is necessarily, but that's how I say it. Samballot is a guy, and he's a Horonite. And there's a guy named Tobiah, and he's an Ammonite. And, and he's kind of a higher-up guy. He's an official of some kind. And then there's a guy named Geshem. He's an Arab. And these three guys heard about what Nehemiah is doing, the project, and they begin to mock and despise us. And they said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So Nehemiah said, I answered them and said to them, now the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, you have no right or memorial in Jerusalem. So you've got these people who have no authority, no birthright. They've got no right to, to have any kind of say of what goes on in Jerusalem, but they're being the loudest voice right now. They're being the most destructive voice right now. And Nehemiah knows his authority. He's been blessed by the king. He's been given resources by the king. He's been, been sent by God, and he knows his place, his position, his authority, and his mission. And he says, nope. We're here to arise and build. You've got no authority here. You can't tell us what to do. And when I read this passage, the first thing that jumps out at me is Nehemiah's response to being mocked, to being despised, and to being accused of rebellion. In the face of opposition, Nehemiah remains confident in who God is and what God has called them to do. He remains confident in the person of God and he remains confident in the mission that God has called him to. And I'll say this, and even though Nehemiah's response was full of faith and confidence, it doesn't mean it was easy. Although it's incredibly important for us to stay in faith, to stay in confidence when we meet opposition, sometimes it can be difficult. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of opposition and you ask yourself this question? Gee whiz, I know, I think that this is the thing God called me to do. I'm taking steps forward, but I, is, and I'm meeting opposition. Is this opposition Sanballat? Is this Tobiah? Is this Geshem against me? Or is it God? Is somehow, did I miss it? Is God, is God not in this? You go to do something good and all of a sudden you've got this resistance and you're left scratching your head going, is, is God not in this? Am I doing something that's not anointed? Because I, I was in the palace under the cloud of God, sipping suds with the king, wine tasting, things were good. And all of a sudden now I've got enemies, I've got to be doing something wrong. I, I'm meeting resistance. But I'm gonna tell you, oftentimes when you step into your destiny, when you're going God's way, when you're doing what's right, you're gonna meet resistance and opposition. The enemy doesn't like it when you go God's way. The enemy doesn't like it when you set foot to the mission he's called you to. And he wants to meet you with opposition and resistance. And I wanna say this also. Listen, when it comes to these kinds of matters, it's important, it's vital that we have discernment 
You've got to discern that you are in the right lane because it's not just a hard rule that just because you're meeting resistance, then I'm, then I'm in the will of God just because I'm meeting resistance. You've got to have discernment. You've got to be in community with people also that have a good track record of spiritual discernment because it's also possible you're meeting kind of resistance or opposition because you're doing something stupid. You're doing something outside of what God wants you to do. The scriptures repeatedly tell us, <laughs> this is funny because the scripture got uh, in, pulled up in conversation yesterday at our axe throwing. God opposes the proud. <laughs> God opposes the proud. <laughs> and so, so, you, you, so sometimes the opposition, we just say, well, that's just the enemy. All throughout the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, it says God opposes the proud. So the question is, do we have discernment? Because it might be God that's opposing you if you're doing something outside of what he's wanting, called you to do. Because maybe you're not submitted. Maybe you're being rebellious. Maybe you haven't even sought God in the place of prayer and you don't even know what the will of God is. And you're like, well, I've got all this opposition. I must be doing something right. Well, sometimes... Sometimes that's the case, but sometimes your opposition is because you're outside of the will of God. That's why we need discernment. We need great spiritual discernment and we need people who have our back. We need to be in community with people who have good spiritual discernment that we give them permission to speak to us and say, tell me where my blind spots are. Because you can be resisted for doing something right, but you can also be resisted for doing something wrong. I heard this one time, and it's always stayed with me, and you may have heard me quote this before. None of us are as intuitive as we think we are. That's why you need the right people around you to tell you the truth when you need to hear it. Some of us are going God's way and we're meeting resistance and we're about to give up and you need the right people around you to say, no, it's not time to give up, it's time to keep going. And some of us are not going God's way and we're meeting resistance, but we think we are in the will of God, but we need the right people around us to say, no, you need to just turn around and go God's way. That's why you're meeting opposition. We need discernment and we need community to help us with that. All right, we're going to skip down to Nehemiah chapter 4. Go over to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now that it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was near, and he said, what are they even building? I mean, if a fox came by and jumped up on what they were building, it would break their stone wall down. And Nehemiah said this, verse four. He says, here, Oh, our God, how we are despised. Return their approach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. 
They have demoralized the builders. Nehemiah is praying, and he's not very happy. And he's saying, God, Sambalat and Tobiah, they've done wicked things by demoralizing the people that are trying to build this wall. This is why they couldn't finish the wall in 72 years. They've been working on this thing for 72 years, and they've not been able to accomplish it. Why? Because they were demoralized. Not because they weren't physically able to do it, but because they were emotionally distressed. Verse six, Nehemiah says, so we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Verse seven, now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashodites heard about the repair of the walls of Jerusalem, heard that it was going on, and that the breaches began to close, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause a disturbance in it. So Sambala and Tobiah said, hey, we've been trying to attack. We've been trying to slow this process down. It's not working. We need to shift gears. We need to change gears here. We need a new strategy. And instead of opposing them publicly, now it's time to stir up a conspiracy within them so that they start arguing amongst one another. They start fighting against one another. They start having discord with each other among their own ranks, among their own families, amongst their own nation, their own people. Here's what the enemy does. You know what your wife was thinking about you? She doesn't respect you. And then the enemy goes, gets in her ear and says, you know what your husband was thinking about you? He doesn't love you. What's he trying to do there? The enemy's goal is to cause divorce amongst us. He's trying to get us to turn on each other. But Nehemiah smartly says this in, in, in chapter four, verse nine. He says, but we prayed to our God and because of them, because of Tobiah, because of um, Sambalat, we set up a guard against them day and night. Listen, when you've got something against somebody, what do you do? You go to them, you make it right, you, walk, you say, I forgive you. But then that oftentimes is just the, begin of the beginning of the battle. It's like the story doesn't end there. You're like, okay, all right, I worked it out with my wife. I worked it out with my friends. I worked it out with my coworkers. I worked it out with my church leaders. But now the enemy is in your ear and, he, and they're like, you know what they really think about you? They said they forgave you, but they don't. And so we, what do we have to do? We gotta set up a guard We've got to be on guard of, from the, the, the voice and the thoughts of the enemy that are trying to enter in and say, listen, hang on, we, we can't listen to that voice if we're gonna finish our assignment from the Lord. We've got to guard our hearts. Solomon said, guard your hearts, for out of the wellspring of your heart cause all the other issues of life. It has an effect on all the other issues of life. Listen, time and time again, people finally get positioned to metaphorically finish the wall in their life. They, they finally get in the position to build the gates. They've got the tools, they've got the resources to accomplish something great for God, but the whole thing burns down in a divorce. And listen, I'm not just talking about a literal divorce between a husband and a wife. 
Divorce happens all kinds of ways in all kinds of relationships. It happens, yes, in families. It happens between parents and children, between siblings. It happens at work. It happens in friendships. It happens in churches. It happens in government. It happens all over the place. The enemy is trying to get us to turn against each other and cause divorce. People can't walk together. They can't forgive one another. You've got people, you've got organizations even that have the potential to make an incredible impact, but it implodes from the inside out. You know what the opposite of divorce is? Unity. And the enemy hates unity. Why? Because when God's people are unified in vision, they can get some things done for the kingdom of God. When God's people are unified in spirit, broken people can get healed, lost people can get saved, and the church can take back ground that the enemy took. That's why the enemy hates unity. But if the enemy can get in and operate, get us to operate in a spirit of divorce, then we're no threat to his kingdom. That's why Nehemiah had to set up a guard day and night to protect the unity and prevent divorce. I'm telling you, this is important. We have to be on guard. We have to be aware of the traps of the enemy, that we do not step and adopt the ways of the enemy, the ways of divorce, but we're seeking unity. Verse 10, Nehemiah 4, verse 10. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and all, excuse me, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Verse 11, our enemies said, man, the enemies are, are continuing to say, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place and where you may turn. Nehemiah said, so I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah said, we're going to prepare families to go to battle together. When I saw their fear, I arose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. And Nehemiah said to the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like what God's been speaking to us this year at Seeds Church? 2020 is the year of? 2020 is the year of? You guys, it's not just about a wall anymore. This is personal. This is about your family. Nehemiah said, when you lay bricks, you're fighting for your family. When you put up a gate, you're going to war for your family. Lay bricks in the name of your family. Add a wall in the name of your children. Nehemiah was trying to get them to tie their everyday work their everyday physical work, tie it to their spiritual inheritance. Nehemiah was like, you're not building a wall, you're extending a legacy. Come on, somebody. 
And when they finally figured this out, and they tied the finishing of the wall to the restoration of their families, they were able to finish the wall in 52 days. What they tried, what they could not do in seven decades, they did in seven and a half weeks. Remarkable what God can do when you surrender and you submit and you get in unity and you stop listening to the voice of the enemy. They realized that their restoration and their protection and their legacy was all tied to this. Nehemiah chapter four, verse 21. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears until the stars appeared. From, from dawn until the stars appeared. And at the time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night with Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So these guys didn't get to go home. It wasn't like we got this done in 52 days by running around doing nothing. They got intense. They got focused. They got their, their set sight on a goal and they went after it for these 52 days. And, and so in verse 23, he says, so neither I, Nehemiah, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us even removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even when it was time to get a drink, even when it was time to go to the water, even when it was time to go clean up a little bit. We were ready. There's a great leadership lesson right here. Nehemiah didn't say, well, I'm the leader, so I'm gonna go take a shower and I'm gonna go chill out in my tent. I'm gonna order a filet mignon. You guys keep doing your thing. No, Nehemiah said, I didn't take my clothes off for weeks, neither did my servants nor the guards. You guys, a good leader doesn't call people to sacrifice and then just direct them from the palace. Nehemiah is the boss, but he's wearing dirty, stinky clothes just like everybody else that has been working hard. He's got a spear with him wherever he goes. He's taking some of the night watches. He's not just directing the people, but he's actively setting an example of leadership. He's setting the pace for people. He's not just yelling orders from some castle far away. He's in the trenches. He's pulling his own weight. This is part of great leadership. And we need great leadership like this in our homes. We need it like this in our church. We need it like this in our businesses, in our, in our community. If we read on through chapters five and six, we come to this climax of the rebuilding of the walls. But we also see that Sanballat, this guy, he's not going away. He comes to accuse Nehemiah again. What does the revelation say? The accuser of the brethren. He, he accuses day and night and night and day. The enemy, he's coming after you. He doesn't like when you're going after the mission that God has given you. And Nehemiah responds again to Sanballat and he says, listen, I realize they're just trying to get me to be afraid. They're just trying to get me to stop working on this mission so that I'd sin against God. Nehemiah is saying basically, stopping my assignment is sinning against God. This is what he says to Sambalat and Tobiah. He goes, hey, I'm doing a great work for God. 
So I don't have time to talk to you right now. I don't have time to entertain your accusations against me right now. I'm busy about a great work for God. Listen to me, everybody. Teenagers in the room. Students, high school students, middle school students, young adults, everybody in the room, listen to me right now. One of the reasons why the enemy's voice is so loud in our lives is because we're not doing anything great for God. You're not busy doing anything great for God. Part of the confidence that we have against the enemy is that we are engaged in doing something great for God. We're engaged in the mission that he gave us. When you're not engaged in the mission that God gave you, it's easy to listen to the voice of the enemy. It's easy to be distracted. And you might say, well, all I'm doing is babysitting. Well, are you doing it for God? If you're doing it for God, you're not just babysitting, you're raising up young warriors. Maybe you say, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm looking forward to the day that I get to do something great for God. Are you kidding me? Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalms 127 says that you are raising up arrows to be put in the hands of warriors. You're doing something great for God. Tie what you're doing every single day to your God assignment. Tie it to your assignment to the Lord and you're gonna find some courage and you're gonna find some confidence. Oftentimes we've got opportunities to do great things for God's, but we just don't see it. Everybody else around us sees it, but we don't see it. So if we're tying what we're doing to our God assignment, and it gives us courage, my question is this, what does laziness and apathy do? Laziness and apathy opens the door to the enemy to have access to us. Some of us wonder, well, why in the world, you know, why in the world we have such a difficult time in resisting temptation? Man, it seems like I just deal with the same thing over and over and over again, and I'm sorry, and I repent, and I don't want to do it anymore, but I keep finding myself here over and over and over and over again. And you've got such a difficult time making the right decisions. Part of the reason is because you need to get off of your behind and engage and do something great for God. Wow, JD's really mad and angry at everybody. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm trying to motivate you to understand God has called you to a mission. Let's build the wall. Let's put up the gates. Let's keep out the enemy. James 4, 17 says, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, it is sin. Sometimes we think of sin only in terms of immorality, but the Bible says that it's not just sin to lust. It's not just sin to be greedy. It's not just sin to uh, you know, let your anger get the best of you. It is those things, but it's not just those things. The sin that comes to us mo more, more covertly or more secretly are the ones that where we have to ask ourselves, am I walking in my God assignment? Are y'all still listening to me? Am I doing what God has called me to do? To the one who knows the right thing to do but does not do it, it is sin. 
for those of us that have been mature in the Lord for a number of years, we may not be dealing with issues of immorality. We may not be struggling with lots of lust or greed or anger issues or whatever else. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I engaged in my God assignment with vigor, with zeal? Am I going after the things that God has told me to go for? Nehemiah said, I saw that Tobiah was trying to get me to stop the work so that I would sin against God and not finish my assignment. Sin is also when God tells you to do something, but you don't do it or you don't finish it. Listen, the point of me saying all this is not for us to focus on don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. No, the point is, do you have a God assignment that you're walking in? No, I don't. Well, okay, well then go submit to someone else's assignment until you find your own. Find a place to serve. Wake up every morning and be able to say to Sanballat and Tobiah, sorry, I can't listen to you right now. I'm busy about doing something great for God. If you don't know what your assignment is yet, go look for it. But until you find it, get involved with helping someone else with their assignment. Church, family, there's plenty of things to do around here. They're important things. You're like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where I fit in. I don't care. Just get in. Find a place to serve. Get busy. Some of you are like, man, I just don't can't understand why the enemy just keeps, I just meet all this opposition. What are you doing for God? What are you doing for God? Now, you're still going to meet opposition when you're, when you're doing things for God. The enemy still kind of, kind of re, can resist you. But when the enemy comes and resists you and you're doing something great for God, you've got a confidence that you don't have when you're just sitting around not doing anything. Let's do something great for God. Let's not be bound by fear. Let's not listen to the outside voices that say, oh, you're, you're not gonna do anything great for God. You're not gonna build the wall. You're not gonna put up a gate. You're not gonna protect your family. You're not gonna protect your city. No, we are. 2020 is the year of strong families at Seeds Church. We're gonna build our strong family. I'm gonna do my everyday work and realize it's tied to my God assignment that I'm not just doing it because this is just the, my routine. This is just what I'm doing. No, I'm doing this. I'm setting a legacy for my family. I'm building something great for my family. I'm building something great for the kingdom of God. I'm building something great in my church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you haven't just put here put us here on this earth to wander around aimlessly, but you have given us assignments. Lord, I pray, God, that when we, we hear things like Nehemiah heard about the walls of Jerusalem being in ruins, God, when we hear things like that and when it strikes a chord in our hearts, God, I pray that we just wouldn't go, well, that's just a shame. Lord, I pray that we would turn aside and we'd pay attention and say, Holy Spirit, are you trying to tell me to do something about this? Are you wanting me to get involved in this? Are you wanting me to 
do something great for you here. Holy Spirit, I pray, I thank you that you said, Jesus, that when we seek, we will find you. When we knock, you will answer. When we ask, God will be given to us. Lord, I don't care so much about seeking the pleasures of this world. God, I don't care so much about asking for my life to be more comfortable. God, I wanna seek your will for my life. I wanna seek your will for my family, God. I wanna seek your will for this church. God, I wanna seek your will for this city. I wanna do something great for you, God. So God, as we seek for our mission, God, I pray that you answer us. Lord, I pray for those of us that may not may not know we still have question marks Lord show us where we can go ahead and start pitching in and building walls with other people until we know our place in the wall to build God you're so good you're so generous God that even though the Israelites got exiled you brought them back you brought them back to their homeland. And God, I know there's people, people here, God, myself included, we've done stupid things. But God, I thank you you've not given up on us once. That you're always ready to bring us back to yourself. You're always ready just to bring us back to the mission that you've called us to. We just want to respond and say yes. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I just pray right now for the people here, God. You're stirring things in their heart right now. Some of them, God, I just pray right now, you're giving them vision. You're enlarging their vision right now for what you've called them to. God, maybe they not, may not be able to take hold of every single thing tomorrow, but God, they've got something to shoot for. They've got the next step to take. They've got something to aim for. Download it to us right now, Holy Spirit. Even our children, even our youth. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.